Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Well, Orange, you glad you were, you were here today for this so far? My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. And what a day. Orange Day for us represents the partnership between the love of the family and the light of the church. And there are no two greater influences in the world that God ordained than the family and the church. And when these two jet engines combine together, they power forward the kingdom of God into the world. And there are generations, I mean, look around right now, there are generations of proof, the evidence of these two God-ordained influences, the family and the church coming together and combining to raise up the next generation of Jesus followers. So you may be asking yourself the question, so what does orange have to do with any of this? Well, for us, the love of the family is represented by the color red and the light of the church is represented by the color yellow. And when you combine, let's go back to uh, preschool here. When you combine red and yellow, you get what? You get orange. So when you look around the room today and you look around the campus that's full of orange, it represents the partnership between these two God-ordained influences, the family and the church coming together. Again, two jet engines powering the kingdom of God forward. And two influences are more powerful than one. In fact, there's no greater potential influence on the relationship between a child and God than their family. And there's no greater potential influence on a family than their relationship with the church, with God's family. And when those two combine together, something incredible happens. And we need a generation, everyone watch this. We need a generation, a next generation, that is more interested in living in the story, the bigger story, the better story of God, than posting a better picture of themselves. So many of you were able to, to go to someplace warm or someplace really nice this summer or just something that brought you peace or joy, some kind of vacation many of you were able to. And when you got there, you may have been standing on a beach and you probably saw this happen. You saw waves coming in, people living into that and playing and having fun, but you also saw, saw this, people who were standing uh, on the edge of the beach who were, who were doing this and and trying to get the perfect angle of their picture and then trying to get it filtered. And the whole time they're st standing there, the, 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 the beach is alive with life that's going on. And they're more interested in, just get, let me get, just get a better picture. And you probably saw families that were doing that and everybody's smiling. And as soon as they take the picture, everybody goes back to arguing and bickering and fighting and fussing and all the things. And maybe that was your family. And I think that's an incredible picture, no pun intended, of a generation that uh, is being drawn into posting a better picture for other people to see rather than living into the bigger and better story of God. And we as a church and as families need to combine together to say, hey guys, there's something so much bigger and better than just posing for a picture. There's living a life that God has designed for you. What could that look like? And again, this isn't just for those of you who have children in your home right now. Hey, Paul didn't have kids in his home, but he had a lot of spiritual children. Jesus was never married, but he was a part of a huge family. 
So no matter what your life situation is right now, whether you have kids in your home or you don't have kids in your home, the church are meant to be spiritual mothers and fathers to the next generation. So if you came here today and you thought, well, this is Orange Day and I don't have kids in my house right now, you do have kids, look around. And you have kids all back in this next-gen building. And we as a church have a responsibility to partner with families to raise up the next generation of kids who will find and, and follow Jesus and then go live their life in such a way to help other people find and follow Jesus. The next generation that will put roots deep down into the eternal God to grow strong, to bear fruit in season and out of season. And how do we do that? How do we combine together as a church and as families to raise up the next generation of kids who will, who will find and follow Jesus and help other people to do the same? It's a big task, isn't it? And I think you would agree with me, we're up against it. Lots of different influences that are pulling our kids in different directions. So how do we, how do we raise them up to follow Jesus and to help other people uh, to know Jesus through their lives? Well, I'm going to say it in one word if you're taking notes. The word is uh, discipleship. Have you ever heard of that word? The word disciple means learner or follower. And discipleship is the, the process or the journey of learning and following after Jesus. And we want to take that seriously because Jesus took it seriously. And that's, that's what he commanded us to do as a church. And I want to define discipleship in this simple way. And th this is how we define it here at New City is helping people find and follow Jesus. Discipleship is the process, the journey of finding Jesus in every area of your life, following in love, falling in love with him and following him in every area and every part of your life. And I think you would agree with me, it's a lifelong journey to continue to say yes to Jesus and, and no to, to posing for pictures, a, a bogus, living into a bogus false story or shadow mission of myself. But discipleship is saying, oh, I, wanna, I wanna find Jesus and I wanna passionately follow after him and I wanna help other people to do the same. Last week, uh, after we finished our series on the Great Commission, I had a student that came up to me. This is so cool, it happened right here. And we just talked about this, this uh, mission of helping people find and follow Jesus and what we want to center all of our ministry around here at New City. And no kidding, he, he waited for, uh, to, to speak with me and got up and, you know, came you know, right front and center and said, hey, this year at school, I want to help my friends there to, to find and to follow Jesus. Could, could you help me understand how to, how to better do that? It, could there be anything better for us as a church than a next generation that wants to help their circle of influence, their relational world, their friends and their family to find and follow the same Jesus that they have? That's what Jesus wanted for us. When he stood with his disciples and gave his great commission, his last command, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. So Jesus is telling his church, the capital C church, what the mission is. The mission is to help other people to find Jesus and follow after him just like you have. To, to come and be a part of the journey of saying no to self and yes to God. And Jesus gives two ways that we're, we're meant to go make disciples. If you look at the passage with me, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Verse 19, he says, 
We're gonna baptize them, you remember this? We're gonna baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Now the word Trinity never appears in the New Testament, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit appear all throughout the New Testament. So Jesus says you're gonna go baptize in the name of the triune God. And then you're gonna do what? What's the second thing? How do we make disciples? How could we make disciples of the next generation? Kids that find and follow Jesus and wanna passionately go and live to help other people find and follow Jesus. We're gonna baptize them in the name of the Trinity and we're gonna teach them to obey, secondly, everything that Jesus has commanded us. Now, when we do that, we're doing two things distinctively, but we're answering four different questions that I think all of us are asking. In baptism, we're answering the question, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? I want you to just for a moment, let's just make this room a, a time machine and let's go back to sitting, maybe let's make it seventh grade at the lunch table. Okay, you might you know, twitch a little bit here. Okay, and I want you to just think about what the thoughts that you had in your mind when you headed into lunch or some of the feelings that you had around that lunch table. And many of you are asking the question, where do I fit in? And the truth is that for some of us, you know, age doesn't matter. Even as we get older, we're still asking the question, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And let me just tell you something. If you don't settle this question in the heart of God, the culture would love to settle it for you. There are so many influences in this world that would love to tell you where you fit in. They would love to tell you, secondly, who you are, because that's the second big question that baptism answers. Who am I? What is my identity? And if you don't settle that as a child of God, if you don't settle that deep within the heart of God, all the culture would love to settle that question for you and help you to find your identity in all kinds of different things in different ways. Part of our struggle right now as a culture, as a world, by the way, there's nothing new under the sun. All these struggles have been struggles since the beginning of time, but they're exacerbated right now because we can see them in real time and the days are evil. Jesus said that. History is not circular, it's linear. There's a beginning, there's an end. And as evil is, is ramping up more and more, and as the church is shrinking back in many ways, only 20% of Americans go to, a, go to a church right now, part of the role of the church is to be salt and light, to not only show the way, but to preserve. That's what salt does. So as it recedes, evil takes even more ground. And part of what's happening right now in culture is to answer these two questions in a myriad of different ways. Whether it's socially or through your sexuality or whatever it might be that you're saying, my identity, this is who I am. And this is the group of people that I belong to. And what Jesus is saying in terms of how we disciple people is answering these two core questions of a person's heart through the act and the process of baptism. Because baptism isn't just going under the water one time. No, it represents, as Nick said, this inner decision to follow Jesus. And it represents a life that that is immersed in the truth of God. That's what Jesus said. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? It means immersing them into the full life and union with God. So it is a moment in time and we celebrate what happened today. But it's also as Jesus said, John, you baptized with water. I came to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? It means the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
the, the Holy Spirit coming upon me to indwell me, to seal me for the day of redemption, to give me power to live my life and to confirm the answer to these questions. Where do I belong? Which again, some of us, we go back to seventh grade and the lunchroom and we still feel that way. Where do I belong? Jesus says, you belong here in the family of God. You have a seat at the table, the family of God. And what is my identity? My identity is not in any uh, different group or what I do or my talents or my skills or my sexuality or any of that. My identity is as a child of God. When Jesus came up out of the water, the heaven split open. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, came and rested on him, and he heard a voice from heaven, Matthew chapter 3, saying to him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What a moment of identity. Where do I belong? I belong in the family of God. And who am I? I'm a son and I'm a daughter of the Most High King. And when I have those two questions answered, I don't need to walk around everywhere in culture saying, where do I belong? Would you please tell me who I am? That's dangerous. That is dangerous to ask other people who you are and where you belong. God answers that for us. And it's through not only the act of baptism, but what baptism represents that these two core questions are answered. And it's a way that we disciple people in defining and following Jesus, but it doesn't end there. What's the second thing? How do we make disciples? What does this look like in our next gen ministry specifically? Well, we teach, we teach who? We teach new followers of Jesus to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Now, what does this mean? The word obey means to keep. So it's not just the process of, of finding Jesus and making a decision to, to follow him one time. It's every single day, as Jesus said, taking up my cross and choosing to follow him in every area of my life. And I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I'm still on the journey of saying yes to Jesus and no to myself and other people in different areas of my life. What, what about you? Jesus said this is the process of discipleship is, is teaching people, not just telling them, teaching them how to live the way that I taught you, the way that I demonstrated, the way that I showed you. Did you know the disciples spent about a year and a half with Jesus total? Jesus' public ministry was three years, but they really spent uh, about a year and a half with him, watching him, following him, listening to him in every way, following their rabbi and teacher. And Jesus says, the same things that I imparted to you, go and do that for someone else. Teach them the commands that I've, that I've given to you. Jesus taught about shame. He taught about guilt. He taught about forgiveness. He taught about prayer. He, he, he taught about divorce. He taught, he taught about bitterness. He taught about servant leadership. Any of these apply to you? Jesus says, take all of these ways that I taught you how to live life and go and do it. And when, when we do that, not only for ourselves, when we, when we come to God's word and we put ourselves under the teaching of Jesus, and then when we do that for other people, and by the way, it doesn't always have to be words. Oftentimes more is, is caught than taught, right? Have you heard that? And part of what the disciples did is when they're following Jesus, they're watching him. They're experiencing the life of Jesus and his commands, not just listening to them. Both are important. But, but when we do that, we're answering the question that so many people are asking right now, particularly in our next generation is, is there truth? Is there truth? That's what Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? Is there truth I can live by? I think you would agree with me that we live in a world that is awash 
is drifting back and forth and saying, there is no truth. What is true is your feelings. What you experience, that, that's the, the apex of life is, is your opinion and your feelings. And you have your feelings and I have my feelings and hopefully we don't ever combine into each other. But guess what's happening right now? So what is truth? Is there truth to live by? And by Jesus saying, teach them to obey all the commands that I've given to you, he's saying there is truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the truth. You, all of us want liberty and freedom and we, you know, I hear all the time, I, I just need to go, I need to go find myself. I, I, I need to get out there and experience something so I understand who I am. You're right here. You're not out there. You're right here and so is God. And God wants to speak to you right where you are today, no matter what your age is. God wants to speak to you right now and, and, and help you to, to define and understand that there is truth to live by. Jesus said, sanctify them. What does sanctify mean? Sounds like a really big churchy word. Sanctify means to, to make them more and more pure, more and more like Jesus. Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So, you know, a lot of people right now are saying yes to spirituality because spirituality is the realm of purpose and meaning and value. Some people are saying maybe to Jesus. And a lot of people right now statistically are saying no to the church. And there's probably a lot of different reasons for that. But when we think about this idea of truth, that there is a way, there, there, there is life, uh, that, that, that there is hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, we have this unique message of helping people to answer the question, is there truth to build my life on? And our answer as a church is yes. And he has a name. And Tim Keller talks about, you know, broad is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. That's what Jesus said. And Tim Keller says, it's like this. I want you to picture this, that you're walking through a narrow gate and his name is Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, I am the gate. And when you walk through that gate named Jesus and you accept him by grace through your simple trust and faith in him, when you walk through that narrow pathway, it leads to this broad field. That freedom is found in Jesus and truth. But when you walk through a, a broad pathway because you won't accept that there's, you know, there's only one way. You won't accept Jesus' teaching, his exclusivity of, of life and being the way, then you're constantly bound and you never experience freedom. And so many people are saying, you know, I want to look to Jesus because I think he's a good moral teacher and there's a lot of you know, good things that you can gain by looking at his life. But, but actually, if you don't believe who he says he, he is, he's not a very moral teacher. C.S. Lewis said he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He either lied about who he is, because he said he's the son of God, he said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father and experiences freedom and life and liberty and hope and truth without him. Or he's lying to us, or he was just out of his mind. But how could you grab a few things, and that's, that's sort of 
our culture right now walking through a buffet line and just saying, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of that, I'll take a little, no, I don't want that. No, you can have that back. I'll take a little bit of this. And Jesus says, you take all of me or you take nothing. There's either truth or there isn't truth. Jesus says, I'm the truth, and you go teach other people the commands that I've given to you. And then here's the fourth question. There's, there's two for each you know, part of the discipleship here, immersing people into the life of God, teaching them the ways of God. And in that way, part of the command, the final command, was to go and do the same for other people, to go and make disciples. The way we say it here, to help people find and follow Jesus, the journey of discipleship. And that answers the question, is there purpose? How many of you, you don't raise your hand, struggle with that? Is there a greater purpose to my life? I'm showing up to a job tomorrow that I really don't like. I'm, I'm around people that, I, that I'm forced to be with. The, the great part of my life is doing things that I really don't wanna do. Is there something greater than what I'm experiencing right now? And Jesus is foot stomping all over the place and saying, yes, there is. Whether you're an engineer, an educator, you're in government, you're in sports, you're in business, you're in arts, you're in media, whatever your vocation might be or your aspirations, all of that leads to the greater purpose and mission in your life, which is to help other people to find and follow Jesus, the same Jesus that you have found and are following. How can we as a church partner with individual families, the family of God partnering with individual families to tell this story and to focus on the main thing, to keep the main thing the main thing, to go and make disciples by baptizing people, immersing them into the life of God and teaching them the truth of God and the greater purposes. For us, we're, we're, we're beginning to center all of our next-gen discipleship around these four questions and really four words. And I want you to see this illustrated on a, on a pathway or a journey you know, for, for what this looks like for us in, in next-gen discipleship at New City. There's four words I just talked about, belonging and identity and truth and purpose and, and how baptism answers the question, where do I belong and who am I and is there truth and, 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 and you know, is there purpose to live by? Both baptism and teaching the commands of Jesus speak to all four of those questions. And, and here's the deal, every single person, okay, and I know in the, a room this size I'm watching online, there's, we're, we're at different you know, places on the faith spectrum of believing in Jesus, but every single person in here and watching right now is asking those four questions. Whether you're doing it consciously or subconsciously. Do I fit in? Who am I? Is there truth? Is there a bigger purpose in my life? All of us are asking and wrestling those four questions. And here's the deal, guys. I, want, I just want you to see this really quickly because you're gonna see more of this around our next-gen spaces. The journey of discipleship is asking and answering those four questions and moving from a self-centered focus and asking and answering those questions to a Jesus-centered focus and asking and answering those questions. Because Jesus answers all four of these as you just heard. But when my focus is on self, I fill my heart and my mind with all kinds of lies about who I am, about where I belong, about the fact that there is no truth except for my truth and there's not really any purpose. So eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And finding and following Jesus, the process of discipleship, the journey of discipleship is all about asking those same four core questions about belonging, identity, and truth and purpose, but moving from a self-focus or others-focus to a Jesus-focus. 
and letting him speak his truth into my heart, into my mind about who I am, where I belong. If there is truth to live by, Jesus says there is, and the purpose of my life to help other people to find and follow the same Jesus that I have found and am following. Let me just give you one little example, okay? Well, I've got your attention about this. So in preschool for us at, at, at New City, when we think about this uh, discipleship journey, in preschool, uh, you know, it's happening, all, all four of those are happening in every area, but in preschool, we're focusing on belonging and helping our preschoolers to understand that they belong in a relationship with Jesus and they belong at the table in the family of God. In elementary school, we're focusing on the word identity, that you are a son or a daughter of the most high God. That is your identity. In the middle grades, you know, fifth through eighth grade, we're focusing on truth. Again, these are happening all throughout, but our focus is on truth. And in high school, we're talking about purpose, that your life is designed and meant for something more than just yourself and your own pleasure. Let me give you an example in the middle grades of how we're speaking into truth. This past year, we started using a curriculum called New City Catechism. And catechism, I know it sounds like a kind of a fancy word, but catechism is basically imparting truth. It's a, it's a method and a way of putting truth deep within your heart and your mind. And so part of what we're doing in fifth and sixth grade, if you have a fifth grader, if you have a sixth grader, this is their curriculum. For two years, we're teaching our students the truth of who God is, and we're asking and answering 40 core questions about the truth of God. And part of the, the catechism process is to ask that question and to begin to memorize the scripture and the truth in your heart. And our hope is not only that, you know, that helps them to answer those questions now, but in years to come, they'll remember being catechized at a church and remembering, that sounds whatever, but it, that, that you're putting truth deep within your heart and your mind. And I believe that, you know, that, that catechism is a missing part of the evangelical experience right now and helping to understand these core questions and getting them deep within our heart and our mind. And so that's part of how we're living this out at New City. And so here's the deal. You may say, well, man, you know, my kids are past fifth and sixth grade. We have this resource available in our parent resource centers, both at Matthews and at South Park. If you want to grab one, it's also available at Amazon or anywhere else you get your books. And I would encourage you to grab it. You can use it in your small group, put it at your kitchen table and do it as a family. It doesn't matter where your kids are, their age and stage. This is a great curriculum uh, to begin to put truth into your heart, into your mind. I'm going to finish here. Um, any of you remember the MTV show, My Super, my, I'm going to get this right, My Super Sweet 16. Say that three times. Any of you ever watched that or remember that? I'm glad that nobody, you know. <laughs> any, any of you, any of you remember MTV? Okay. I mean, it's a great way that we've moved on as a culture, um, that that's not a part of, of who we are anymore. So that's a wonderful thing as a pastor. Um, but this show on MTV, My Super Sweet 16, was all about these lavish birthday parties that families threw for their 16-year-olds. And if you ever watched it or you heard, or you, you heard about it, it was like, you just felt like, as a parent watching this or a family member, like, man, I have, I have completely let my kids down. Like the experience that these kids are having on their 16th birthday party, like it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And when you watch it, you just go, man, as a parent, like I, I've completely dropped the ball and just, just failed my, my, my kids. You could look at 
what parents are doing all around you or what's happening in culture around you, just go, man, I, I'm not measuring up to the, the images or the, the pictures that other people are putting on display for, for me to see about what good parenting is or what that, what that looks like. But here's the deal, guys. What you leave for your kids is nothing in comparison to what you leave in your kids. The story of God. And God needs families and churches that will invite our kids, the next generation, into a bigger, better story of God and not just posting a fake picture for other people to see something that will be diminished and will never last. The things that we give our kids cannot compare to the story that we're telling them and inviting them into. I remember when I was a teenager, my dad lost his job and went for a long period of time without a job. I remember, it's funny the things that you remember. I remember my parents coming and asking, I had $100 in a savings account. And I remember my parents coming and saying, could, could, we, could we use this money that you've saved to buy our groceries this week? And I, I remember when my dad got a job. I don't remember what the job was. But I, I, I remember my parents pulling us into a room and, and telling us that my, my dad had gotten a job. And we didn't do this a lot as a family, honestly. We had our ups and our downs as a family. We're not a perfect family. My, my parents were, you know, trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus. But I, I, I can remember right now in our little living room, us circling up, the five of us, and my dad saying, can we just, can we just get down on our knees? And can, can we just, as a family, just thank God for providing this job for us? And I don't even remember what we prayed. But I remember right now, even as a 45-year-old, remembering circling up with my parents on our knees and thanking God for his provision. That is a story that has stuck with me. There's so much about my childhood that I've forgotten. I remember that story. So many gifts. I, don't, I can't tell you what I got for Christmas. I, I can't tell you what I got on birthdays. I can tell you some of these stories that my parents gave to me. As imperfect of a family as we were, stories of trusting God, of believing God. And so if you are thinking right now on, on like this orange day, you think about this partnership between the church and the family, you go, Chris, I, you don't know my family. Like you don't know my family. I, 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 don't, I don't think that we could partner with the church. I just, I need to just come to the church and the church can just, just do it. You, you don't know my family. Well, let's look at some of the families in the Bible real quick. Just, just one minute. Noah, remember Noah? Major drinking problem and behaved very inappropriately towards his family at the end and yet God used him. Abraham offered his wife to another man, remember that? How about that for a story, like remember that time? Um, Rebecca schemed with her son Jacob against their other son and against his father Isaac. Jacob, um, his son's all they did was sell their, their younger brother Joseph into slavery. And for 400 years, the people of God experienced that in Egypt. David, King David has an affair. His son Absalom leads a rebellion against him. Man, talk about dysfunction. Eli, the priest, the pastor, his sons went crazy 
and, and led a rebellion against him and he lost control of them in the temple. Mary and Joseph, yeah, they lost their son, remember that? In church, they lost their son in the temple, so don't, don't do that today. They weren't perfect. How, how about Adam and Eve, the very first family? All, all they did was lead to the downfall of all of humanity and sin and brokenness into the world. So maybe you're doing okay. Maybe you're doing better than you thought. The truth is our role as families, our role as families and as a church is not to impress upon our kids about how good we are. Our role is to impress upon them how good God is, how faithful God is, that even in our nonsense, the argument that you had on the way to church this morning at Orange Day, the frustration and the tension that's in your home right now, that it's not all there is, that there's a bigger story that God can tell. There's two different kind of approaches to this, I'll finish here. There's the better picture as we started out, there's, that's the one approach to this, you know, that I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna take better pictures as a family and I'm, we're just gonna pose, you know, for these better pictures and these images so other families can see how, how good we are. But here, here's the problem. When we do that as families or as a church, when we're just posing for better pictures, you know, like, right, remember? Here's the problem. Our kids live in our home. Our kids go to church here. They, they see that it's not a perfect picture. And so 56% of millennials right now who grew up in the church are saying, no way, walking away. Because they see it's not perfect. There's another approach which is inviting our next generation not to take a better picture and to be perfect, which by the way, is all about religiosity. That's what religion is. I've got to clean up the outside and paint a good picture for God and other people. The inside, I'm rotten. So there's another approach. It's not a better picture, it's a bigger story. That yeah, we've got issues and dysfunctional things in our family and our church, but God, in spite of our weakness and our dysfunctions, is using us to live into and tell the bigger story that there's something bigger than my dysfunction. My identity is not in my weakness. My identity is in the victory that I have in Christ. And so inviting our kids into the bigger story of God is about giving our kids a front row seat into his goodness and and his faithfulness. God isn't interested in you posing for better pictures to tell a bogus story. God's interested in using broken people to live into his bigger story. The Bible isn't a collection of perfect pictures. Far from it. The Bible is a story of broken people who are invited by grace to live and experience the bigger and better story of Jesus. What if you stopped trying to post a perfect picture in your life? What if you stop trying to live a bogus story and cover it up with religiosity and moralism? And what if instead you allowed God to tell the bigger story of his gospel truth in your life and through your life? Here's the bottom line today. 
God isn't interested in posting better pictures. God's interested in telling bigger stories. And the biggest story is this, that Jesus came for you and invited you to be a part of his forever family. And now he invites you as you leave here today to go and tell the world, to go and show the world that he did the same for them. We need a next generation that will find and follow Jesus for themselves, who will reject posting pictures and instead live into the bigger story and go and do the same for their friends, for their family, in all of the world to say, God has a bigger story for you as you find him, as you follow after him. I wanna finish this way with Psalm chapter one. I referenced uh, you know, the Bible more than any other living creature other than God and humans talks about trees. And the first page in the Bible in Genesis one has a tree. The last page in the Bible in Revelation 22 has a tree. The Psalms start with a tree. God uses a tree as a metaphor of life. So I wanna finish with this story as we think about our next generation, our kids and our students being trees that are planted by the river who bear fruit in season and out of season. I had an old neighbor, Philip Gully wrote, when I was growing up named Dr. Gibbs. He didn't look like any doctor I'd ever known. Every time I saw him, he was wearing denim overalls and a straw hat, the front brim of which was green sunglass plastic. He smiled a lot. A smile that matched his hat, old and crinkly and well-worn. He never yelled at us for playing in his yard. I remember him as someone who was a lot nicer than circumstances warranted. Hmm. When Dr. Gibbs wasn't saving lives, he was planting trees. His house set on 10 acres and his life goal was to make a forest. The good doctor had an interesting theory concerning plant husbandry. He came from the no pain, no gain school of horticulture. He never wanted his new trees to be watered. He, uh, it flew in the face of conventional wisdom. Once I asked him why, and he said, watering plants is spoiling them. And that if you water them, each successive tree generation will grow weaker and weaker. He talked about how watering trees made shallow roots and how trees that weren't uh, watered had to, had to grow deep roots in search of moisture and nutrition. I took him to mean that deep roots were to be treasured. So he never watered his trees. He, he'd plant an oak and instead of watering it every morning, he'd beat it with a rolled up newspaper. <laughs> Slap pow, smack. I asked him why I did that and he said it was to get the tree's attention. <laughs> Dr. Gibbs went to glory a few years ago. Every now and again, I walk by his house and I look at the trees that I'd watched him plant some 25 years ago. They're granite strong now, big and robust. Those trees wake up in the morning and they beat their chest and they drink their black coffee. I planted a couple of trees a few years back. I carried water to them for a solid summer. I sprayed them, I prayed over them the whole nine yards. Two years of coddling had resulted in trees that it, uh, expected and to be waited on hand and foot for their every need. So whenever a cold wind would blow in, they would tremble and, and chatter and 
and blow all around. Funny thing about those trees of Dr. Gibbs, adversity and deprivation seem to benefit them in ways comfort and ease never could. Every night before I go to bed, I go and check on my two sons. I stand over them, I watch their little bodies, the rising and falling of life within them. I often pray for them as many of us do. Mostly I pray that their lives will be easy, which many of us have prayed for our kids, that the Lord would spare them from hardship. But lately I've been thinking about those trees. I've been thinking about the inevitability of cold winds that hit us at the core in life. I know my children are going to encounter hardship and my praying they won't is naive. There always is gonna be a cold wind blowing somewhere in this world and culture. So I'm changing my prayer and maybe we should too because life is tough and whether we want it to be or not, it is. And instead I'm gonna pray that my son's roots grow deep so they can draw strength from the hidden sources of the eternal heart of God. Too many times we pray for ease, but that's a prayer that's seldom met in this world. What we need to do is to pray for roots that reach and stretch deep into the heart of God. So that when the rains and the winds come and blow in this culture, they won't be swept away. I'm gonna ask you to do something as we close here uh, to stand. And I wanna pray for all of our next gen, for our students, for our families, for our, our great team and our volunteers here that work so hard, which by the way, there's a chance if God's pulling on your heart today to serve in next gen, you'll see a big yellow sign out there that says, say yes. And we want you to say yes to that. But here's what I want you to do. You get a different perspective in church today. You just would kind of make an about face and we're gonna face the next gen building, which if you've never been in there is the building right across the courtyard. And if you're able today, um, as we close in prayer, I'd love for you just to extend your hands for this prayer over our next generation and all the ministries, both in our family and, and in the church. Let's, let's pray together. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees. Trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They're like worthless chafe, scattered by the wind, they will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Father, thank you for your word, your truth today. We pray for our next generation now that they would be a generation that delights in the law of the Lord, that meditates on your truth day and night that they would be like trees, not shallow, not fragile, but trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit for all the world to see of your gospel each season. May their leaves never wither and may they prosper in all they do to the glory of God. Help us to be a church that takes discipleship seriously 
answering these foundational questions of who we are, where we belong, if there's truth, if there's purpose. May our focus shift from self to you, Jesus. And may you help us to answer each of those questions with with a resounding, yes, there is a place to belong. There is truth. There is an identity to live into and a purpose worth dying for. We commit our next gen to you now, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
today on this special day. I hope you'll come back uh, next week. And then the following week, we're starting a long series on the book of Judges. So we'd love for you to join us this fall as we journey together. A couple ways to get connected here before we go. Uh, you can go to Connection Point straight out these doors. We have uh, some wonderful people that would love to greet you, tell you a little bit more about New City. If you're new here, we have a gift for you. Uh, we'd love to welcome you and just help you get connected here. Uh, secondly, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, we mentioned this most weeks, but we have folks up here after the service. I'll be here, Jen, as well. Some of our elders that would love to talk with you and pray with you um, if you'd like to. Or you can fill out a prayer card that's right in front of you in your seats right now or online and let us know how we can pray for you. And then lastly, giving for us is a response. Um, to what God's done for us. It's an act of worship. If you're visiting with us today, please don't feel obligated at all to give. But if New City is your home, this is your opportunity, whether it's online or in the giving boxes as you leave today, um, to give as a response to what God has done for us and furthering his mission to help people find and follow Jesus. We have a lot of orange things in the courtyard today. Um, so if you wanna stop by and get some Cheez-Its or uh, some Cheetos, uh, there are oranges, there are actual oranges. You could do that as well. We'd love for you to hang out and just enjoy being outside on this beautiful day and, and uh, get further connected with some other people. If you're able to extend your hands for a benediction, would you please do so now? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and, and turn his attention your way. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his peace and his love and his mercy in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you, New City. Thanks for being here.